This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On the Beat segment. And again, a very special guest, the new Georgia baseball coach, Wes Johnson. Coach, welcome to the program. I know you've been busy. Thanks for taking some time out. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, we, um, you know, we, we're working really hard. We're out recruiting. Uh, you, I actually gave you, a, you got me at a good time. I got a little window right here, but then it's it's back to the recruiting trail. Oh, man. And I know there's a lot of work to be done. But but first things first, I, I just, I, I want to talk about you getting hired for this job. I mean, it, it kind of happened quickly. Josh Brooks has had some very successful hires. You're a coach with Major League Baseball coaching experience. Of course, most recently, uh, I, I think you spent a, a half your summer at the Omaha, Nebraska, at the College World Series and LSU as the Tigers win the national championship. Um, if you wouldn't mind, could you talk a little bit about uh, that LSU experience, what you take from that, and that uh, you believe could carry over perhaps to Georgia? Yeah, no, I, well, you know, obviously we had, we had a really good uh, season this past year at LSU, and, um, you know, it started, it started when I got there. We, we immediately, kind of like you're doing here, you know, you hit the recruiting trail, and uh, we, we, we were able to land a couple of big arms out of the portal after I got there, and um, you know, then was able to bring him in, develop him, uh, start start the season. We 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 got off to a really good start. I think we were number one in the country for maybe ten. I, I don't keep up with all that, but I think it was at least ten or eleven straight weeks um, uh, before before we got knocked off there. But it, it's really tough to maintain that. Things you learn. You know, I, in 2018, obviously I was at Arkansas and we actually lost in the national title game. I dropped the fly ball or we would have won the title then as well. But uh, so getting back, you know, you kind of knew what it took to get to that level and get to that game. And I felt like, you know, no matter what was going on throughout the year, I was like, okay, if we can stay together, uh, keep everything rolling, keep the guys, you know, in the right state of mind, we're going to, we're going to have a chance to get there again. And, you know, to those guys credit, it's so hard to, go through the SEC and it, it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, every team is good. Uh, 10 straight weeks. So we, we hit a hiccup there down the stretch, uh, you know, in week eight, nine, and it just happens. It, it's, it's just how good the league is. So we were able to rebound it and got off to a good start in regionals, super regionals. And then, you know, we, we, we actually played eight games in 10 days at, in Omaha. And I think the thing that you, that that's where it turned to more, like professional baseball because they're we, we actually got to game two and in, in the best of three against Florida and, and we just we won game one obviously and then got to game two and we just had to look at each other and say okay look we got to score a lot of runs but we really need to give our pitchers uh, some of our bullpen guys a hiccup today and and not use them and then try to push all our chips in for for game three and and obviously you know it worked out for us but yeah just I think the the thing I'll take away from the LSU season is uh, how to manage expectations uh, because they were extremely high. And, and then just how we had to attack Omaha. We came out of that loser's bracket playing eight games in 10 days. And if that happens, how you, you know, continue to manage not just your pitching staff, but your players day to day from, from a workload, you know, perspective. 
You know, that was something Josh Brooks told me that he really liked about you was the relationship that you have with your players. And, you know, he says you're kind of an old school guy that can also apply new technology. You know, it reached the players. We saw Paul Skeen go number one overall last night in the draft. I know he's just, you know, one of your pitchers. There were a few LSU pitchers that you coached last year in the, the top 60, Ty Floyd, Grant Taylor, a couple other guys that you worked with. Obviously, you, you help out calling the majority of those pitches. And I guess I would just ask you, for kind of a mentality and mindset, you're, you're known as somewhat of a, a, a pitching guru and, and that, that's a good thing to be in baseball. What is the, I don't want to say secret to success, but maybe some of the methodology, um, you know, maybe some of the thought process you bring in coaching, uh, coaching up a great uh, bullpen and staff. Well, um, I, I think the biggest thing that you have to do is uh, understand that, you got to you got to develop a relationship with your players first, right? They they don't know how much you or they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them or, or getting to know them, and, and that's that's been my philosophy for a while. Um, you got to get in there and get to know them because you you want them to trust you. You want them to um, when you go to tell them why you're going to make a change to them, they they know a that you've you've been through the process to make that change worthwhile. It's not just a subjective change, so to speak. You put in the time objectively to look at that pitcher and change, whether it be his delivery, uh, a pitch grip, how we're going to use his pitches, you know, so getting to know them that, that, and, and then going to them with, with those changes, it speeds everything up. And so, you know, I, I really enjoy getting to know these guys where they're from you know, about their families, about their, just what they like to do away from the baseball field too. That's how you can connect with them. And when you go to make that change in today's game, as I've said for a long time, there's a lot of people out there who tell you why now. And you watch a video, hey man, maybe this guy should do whatever it is, X, Y, and Z. The hardest part in our job anymore is getting the how done, right? Connecting with that player um, and, and giving him or and getting with him to get the how to get them, you know, the mission accomplished. So I think it's very important that you get out there and know your players. And you talk about connection and trust, and certainly Josh Brooks had a lot of options on the table for the Georgia baseball coaching position. And you, you were the coach that he felt really good about. Conversely, you've had other opportunities that maybe you didn't go into as a head coach or another assistant opportunity here at another level. And yet you chose Georgia. What did you see from Georgia outside in? Because you scouted the dogs, obviously, when you were at LSU and had to find a way to pitch around uh, Charlie Condon, although I think he was the only player in the league this year that got a hit in every single game, if I'm not mistaken. Tell me your thoughts on Condon and what you saw from Georgia as a LSU coach and, and now as you transition in. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny, even before I got this job, so I don't want it to, to sound like I'm trying to, you know, really <laughs> – uh, push our players. I'll start with Charlie first. Um, we were going into the Georgia series and, and I was asked by some, you know, people in L at you know, the LSU stuff, Hey, you know, God, what do you think about that Charlie Condon guy? And I, I made the blanket statement at that point in time, he's the best right-handed hitter I've seen this year besides Dylan Cruz. And, and I mean that, um, of course, very, Dylan went number two overall last yeah. night in the major league baseball draft. <laughs> um, Charlie's plate discipline is phenomenal. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things that really you see a guy who's got a lot of power like he does, and then he doesn't chase a lot. Uh, that that's impressive. Uh, usually, you know, it's it's not that way. You see, 
their strikeouts are going to be relatively high and, and it's that give and take, right? Well, he's going to hit 25 homers. So it's okay if he strikes out 70 times, that's not the case with Charlie, you know, he really works the count. He's has phenomenal play discipline, his approach too. It's not like uh, he's trying to pull every ball out of the yard. Um, he'll work the backside. I mean, very, very impressive gets deep into counts um, and, and stays with his approach. So, uh, very, very, very mature and advanced hitter, in my opinion. Um, and, and now that I'm here at Georgia, I'm really glad uh, that, that Charlie's on our team. Um, I don't <laughs> want to try to get that guy out next year. Uh, the, to your other question on Georgia, the, the what sold me here on Georgia was, uh, you know, Josh. Josh is extremely passionate about this place, his support, the support system he has in place, and, and he, you know, has around the baseball program is outstanding and that's where it starts. You want to be successful. You've got to have people with, you know, the drive, the, uh, <clears throat> the support around you to get things going. And then obviously, you know, he's done a phenomenal job, uh, $45 million renovation coming and, and he's got that going. This place, as I've said, will be the best place to play college baseball, you know, in the next two years. Yeah, no doubt about it. And people might have noticed that the, the rendition behind me, this is what Foley Field's going to look like here in a couple of years as they are putting $45 million in. This is this is aesthetically, but coach, behind the scenes, there's going to be a, a pitching lab and some batting cages. When we, when we talk about the pitching lab, I think some people's heads might swirl. So exactly what is Georgia going to get that's going to be so different and so special that's going to enable these young men to develop more quickly? Yeah, you you know we alluded to it a little earlier about the analytics side and 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 all of those things in the quote unquote new school. More and more players are coming in and and, and they know pitch metrics, they know uh, force data, uh, they know a lot of this. They know what their hands doing through slow motion cameras. Our job is to continue to enhance that and get it better. And to do that, you have to have those things in place. So when you look at whether it be the pitching lab or the hitting lab. It's just every piece of technology that is going to take a player to another level. Um, it's that old thing, you know, we shouldn't have ex uh, the excuse of we don't have something. Um, we, we have it now. You, you have uh, edutronic cameras, track man, force plate mounds, biomechanics. All of these things are going to go into not only our pitching lab, but our hitting lab as well. And uh, that we'll, we'll actually start putting that stuff in this fall. Uh, here and obviously in a makeshift setting, but uh, it'll be in place. And and then obviously when when we get into the new stuff, uh, we'll have dedicated, true dedicated spaces to those. And we always start with players. And we've talked a little bit about Charlie Condon, who probably goes into next season as a preseason candidate for Player of the Year. Only a freshman last year, just a just a remarkable player for those that came out to Foley Field and saw him. He was worth the price of ad admission, and and obviously that was a, that was a team that showed resiliency at times this year. They, I think they took, um, I think they took one. Oh, I wanted to correct myself on Condon. He was the only player to hit a home run in every series. Series, yeah. yeah. Every it seemed like he got a hit in every game. Every time he looked up, he was on base. But you know that that was a team that showed some resiliency. There's some guys that are in the draft tonight. Um, or perhaps could be drafted coach. Could you share some of those Georgia players we're going to be keeping an eye on and, you know, do they go pro or do they come back another year? Who are some of the names uh, that we may hear in, in the, uh, in the draft? Yeah. You know, it's the drafts and imperfect science, as I tell people. So, 
you know, it, it's tough to say where guys are going to go on day two and day three. There's a lot of deals being cut and so forth, you know, with clubs. But yeah, we, we've we've got we've got a handful of guys that we are definitely keeping our eye on over the next two days. You know, starting with the Jaden Wood, left-handed pitcher. You know, I feel pretty confident he's going to go today, meaning day two of the draft. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. You know how the money works out. We, we've obviously, I, as I've been in, you know, contact with all of these players, so um, I, I won't, you know, continue to reiterate that. But um, you know, you've got him. And then you you move around the diamond. You've got Parks Harbor. Parks had a phenomenal year last year. He's getting a lot of traction. Um, you also look Corey Collins, who uh, Corey Corey fits the mold of a lot of people. He can catch. He's left-handed. He's got a lot of power. You know he's he's had he's he's fought the injury bug here quite a bit, but uh, things that are exciting about Corey is he's healthy uh, right now. You've also got Lem Sullivan. Uh, you know organizations are going to drool over him. He's big big guys left handed. He's been up to ninety four ninety five miles an hour, um, and, and so you, you look at him. He's going to have a chance to go today. Uh, Fernando Gonzalez was the best receiver metrically in the SEC last year. And um, organizations love catchers that can really catch. A lot of really good pitchers want to throw to really good catchers. So, you know, I, I see Fernando really getting an opportunity. Uh, Charlie Goldstein has been turned in by a few teams, um, and, you know, rightfully so for all of these guys. Charlie's another guy, you know, we'll keep our eye on and, and see, you know, how things are going. Charlie, Charlie could probably go – if not late today, if he does get drafted, it'll, it'll be tomorrow. Um, so we've been in, obviously are staying in close contact with all those players and, and following how things are going. Yeah, you know, you look at Jaden and, and and the heat that he brings, and uh, you mentioned Liam's size and Charlie. You just wonder what they. I'm sure they they wonder. I'm sure you've made your pitch as well of what what could Wes Johnson do with them in a, in a year or two at Georgia in, in terms of helping them shape their future. It is it is an interesting major league baseball draft, as you said, is a it's a very interesting and inexact science. You never really know uh, how things are going to turn out. What's the right move? What's the wrong? Works a lot different than other drafts. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the draft is its crazy. You just look at, yeah, it, it, teams will try to save money and then they're going to pay a player later. And So, you know, as a coach, just some insight. Uh, today, obviously, a big day. The, the, the day that, or the day in the round that a lot of college coaches really sweat about is day three in the 11th round because that's where teams kind of look at things and go, okay, we have X amount of dollars left over we're going to draft a guy in the 11th round and overpay him um, and, and try to, to get him to, to sign. So yeah, we'll, we'll be locked in today, but it's kind of like, I got to get through that 11th round tomorrow to uh, yeah. To really some, in, some inside baseball from coach Johnson. I never knew that about the draft, but of course, haven't you haven't been with the, the Minnesota twins. You've seen this um, from both sides. Co coaches, we look to the future, a couple items to touch on one the state of Georgia, um, you know, high school baseball here, we see so many great players from the state that don't necessarily always stay in state. And, you know, like you said, and as Josh Brooks has told us, you don't want that to be because the facilities aren't as good or because the opportunity to develop isn't there. I think that's taking care of itself now with the money that George is investing in the coaches that you have on your staff. So one, if you could address that, that Georgia high school baseball and and, and how you're trying to get out and around it. I'm sure you already have been out and around it. And then two, 
the portal is going to be important. This is this is a new age, and baseball portal is very important. Obviously, what we saw Skeen do coming from Air Force to LSU, I mean, integral to the Tigers. So your thoughts on uh, recruiting the state, and then two, uh, usage of the portal, and maybe some names we'd even look out for uh, that you've already landed. Yeah, you know, I'll start with in-state recruiting and, and what we're doing. You know, obviously coming in right now, you're going to have to rely on the portal to flip your roster if that if that's what you want to do. And, and we're in the process of that right now. Uh, I've got uh, Coach Josh Simpson and, and uh, Coach Brock Bennett there. <laughs> They're beating the trails right now in-state for our 24s and 25s right now and and trying to get ahead of that while Coach Coggin and I are back at you know, back here in Athens and we are uh, working the portal and, and our current players and trying to get through the draft. So we're, we're going to absolutely cover the state as much as we can and blanket it. Um, you know, you're never, there's so many good baseball players in Georgia. You're never going to keep them all uh, there. You're just not. Uh, but uh, we, we feel that, uh, you know, our roster, if you were to break it down, should, should it at, a, at you know at minimum be 65 70% georgia players. Uh, the portal has changed that to transition into that. Um the portal has changed, you know there, there was probably a day when you could look at this and say our roster needed to be 80 to 85% georgia players. But but now with the portal and, and people calling you uh you know that are from out of state or from that are really good players as well, uh, it opens up kind of you know flips the percentage on that roster. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're very active in the portal right now. Uh, we, we've already, uh, you know, got some guys coming here and really excited. I, I won't give them all to you because not all of them are quote unquote official yet. Right. Um, they're, they're, they're there, they're committed. We, we've got their stuff in the, you know, in the mail to them and so forth to use that term. But uh, yeah, we, we, Kobe branch is a freshman all American from uh, Baylor that, uh, we're really excited about um, really excited about Paul Totes, a second baseman who can really hit for me. Uh, came from Purdue. Um, really like uh, I was able to you know see Ken and Chad or Clayton Chadwick firsthand uh, that we committed from Sam Houston. Uh, we played Sam earlier in the, the year when I was at LSU, and then they were in our regional. Um, and so really excited about the things he can do. He's very versatile in the outfield. He can play all three. Uh, really good bat, just really good clubhouse guy as well. Uh, you know, those are just a few to talk about. Really excited about Slate Offered that we got from Mississippi State. Uh, can play third, can play first. Can you know? I think with with has really good raw power. Uh, really excited about what he's able to do. Um, Logan Jordan's another one that we got that I think will be able to help us protect. Uh, you know, uh, Charlie a little bit in the lineup, big right-handed bat, a lot of power. Um, you know, has the ability to hit, you know, 20-plus homers as well. So, yeah, well, we're doing some things uh, that we're really excited about um, and uh, in, in the portal, and I think it's just where today's game is. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and, and, you know, you hear some of the changes that are coming, and my goodness, if you were a Again, I, I stress the pitching because you had three guys go in the top 60. I mean, if I'm a pitcher in the portal, I'm going, where can I be developed at? 
And it just seems pretty doggone obvious. Kind of reminds me a little bit. I'm going to pull this one from left field. I don't know how you follow football, but kind of reminds me maybe of David Cutcliffe and quarterbacks back in the day when he worked with Peyton Manning and, and some of the other great NF Daniel Jones, some of the other great players that he turned out and how cerebral cut was. And you strike me very similar in that you're old school and yet very relatable, uh, very personable. So for now, you're going to be the David Cutcliffe of baseball, Wes, in my book. We'll have to see. How, that worked out pretty good for Tennessee, by the way. They won a national title with him. No pressure. So before I let you go, Coach, so what's what's next? What does the schedule look like for baseball? I know you really can't do much until school gets started, but how does the outline look? And when will be the first time that people can go to Foley Field and see you guys play a scrimmage or a fall ball game? <clears throat> Well, you know, as as with this, I actually today I have a meeting. I'll have a little better answer on that a little later. But we'll start we'll start our uh, fall practice a little later. It'll be early in, uh, or it'll be in the middle of September. We, we've got to get some stuff done around the field. I want to make sure that we've got that buttoned up. Um, so it'll probably be anywhere from four to five weeks after uh, the first day of school is is when is when people will be able to come out and, and see a scrimmaging um, and. Uh, from there but it's going to look a lot like that we're, we're gonna obviously the recruiting trailer it never stops we will we'll be recruiting from now till well till forever <laughs> um, but uh a lot of recruiting is going on right now and then just you know I, we have our freshmen on campus they actually start class today uh we've got uh, 12 here right now and then tomorrow they will actually get you know assessed and and start in the in the weight room so you know, you're starting to feel that little bit of buzz. Uh, a lot of guys, I, I brought some of our pitchers home from summer ball. They'll be coming in and uh, getting, you know, uh, getting some stuff done around here. So, um, yeah, it, it's it, there's a lot. Recruiting, it, we're still bringing in guys from the portal on some visits and, um, and then going out and finding the 24s and 25s. August 1st, obviously, we can call all of our 25s and and start that process so lots going to go on in between now and and the start of the season well congratulations coach and it's it's exciting time for you i know it's an exciting time for a lot of georgia baseball fans and we wish will really appreciate you joining us here now if y'all just stay with for a second we want to get a message from our sponsor ingles and when i come back we'll talk a little football second half of the show did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Well, welcome back. And I thought that, uh, you know, Coach Johnson, um, you know, obviously a very cerebral guy, but you can tell he's very personable. You can see how he relates to these Georgia baseball players that, that he's going to be coaching up. And man, when he went down that portal list, you start talking about getting freshman All-Americans, uh, starting players from other Power Five schools. I mean, uh, you can tell that the investment in Georgia baseball is real. It's big. Again, you see the the rendition of what Foley Field is going to look like after that $45 million gets poured into. And that's just the outside. The really important stuff, like Coach Johnson was talking about, the pitching lab, the hitting lab, um, that's going to give these players an opportunity to, to you know, improve themselves more rapidly. And 
put Georgia's facilities more in line. And because quite frankly, they haven't been. And we know that Georgia has been behind on spending in athletic facilities. It's, it was part of their strategy and it served Georgia well for decades. But I think with Kirby Smart and what he's brought to football, and when you have a coach that you believe in, like Georgia believes in Kirby Smart, they're willing to spend money and Kirby's kind of upheld his end of the deal on the field with all the winning. And so you see elite facilities. And now Josh Brooks has come in and he's saying, you know what? Georgia can win at everything. And baseball and softball are the next sports up to get those new facilities. Uh, you know, we've seen a, a lot of success across the board with Josh Brooks is hired so far. He's only in year three. Now, football. So we're a week away. Next Monday, I'll be in Nashville for the SEC Media Days. And all of a sudden, the content is going to come flying off the shelves as all these coaches gather and talk uh, about all the offseason news that's happened in the SEC. Obviously, it's been a very active portal. Um, you know, you've seen different players, different places coming out of spring, preseason prognostications. I uh, got myself in trouble with some people because I said I thought that Georgia was one of the more doubted two-time defending championship programs. And there hasn't been many of them, to be clear, okay? You could argue, I think you could argue USC was because they won one poll one year. But I, I thought Alabama and Nebraska. So part of Georgia being more doubted is that there's more voices. There's more critics. Social media has taken off. So there's more noise out there just by nature of our technology and our social media. So that's the that's the first column of defense that I'll place under my argument. The second is I kind of felt like Nick Saban, when they went back to back, it's it, it, even to this day, you don't hear a lot of people that are questioning Nick Saban. Even after they went two years in a row with two losses or more, something he'd never done previously at Alabama. And, and yet there's still a, an army of media that are behind Nick. And, and I'm not saying they're wrong. I, I think he's a fantastic coach. I think Alabama's very good. Could they win the national championship? Sure. Could they win the SEC? Absolutely. But it's not the no-brainer pick that maybe it once was in my book. Meanwhile, Georgia brings back so much. And yet, you know, I heard Aaron Mary talking about that. Oh, well, USC could pass him by because it's really all about offense. And, and I heard Kirk Herbstreet talk about, you know, Nick Saban in Alabama. And right now that would be his bet. And, and Reese Davis talking about Michigan because they, he likes their quarterback. This guy's similar talent uh, to Stetson Bennett, similar type of player. So I'm hearing a lot of voices and alternative picks. Now, when we go to Nashville, I do think George will be picked to win the league. But I don't think it's going to be as overwhelming, maybe, as some think. And there's a reason why teams haven't won three consecutive national championships since Minnesota in 34, 35, and 36. It's human nature. And Kirby Smart does everything he can to guard against complacency, but it, it kicks in. And we really won't know until Georgia gets back into fall camp. And, and Kirby said that. Kirby said, let's see what these guys do in the offseason. He said, that's when he's going to find out about it. When he sees what he has to work with when they come back to camp, how did these Georgia players handle themselves in the off season in terms of their diligence for working out with one another and throwing sessions and kissing sessions and, and individual weight and dieting, right? So we will wait and see how Georgia looks. Now, they're my preseason pick, 
largely because of the schedule. I, I look at the schedule and I just don't see anybody where I could pick out one game and say, that's the one. The odds suggest that when Georgia finally loses a regular season game, which they have not done since 2020, I believe, was it, was it the game in Jacksonville against Florida? Was that the last regular season game that Georgia lost? Does that sound right? It's hard to believe. It was a long time ago, back in the Kyle Trask, Dan Mullen era. Um, the odds would suggest that it would be away from Sanford Stadium. So you'd be looking at the games away from Sanford significant this year uh, at Auburn and um, Florida again against Florida, uh, which would normally be a designated home game, uh, but they're playing them in Jacksonville and at Tennessee. And I feel like the Tennessee game is what everybody's kind of rushing to and pointing to. And so therefore I don't think it'll be that game just because I know how jacked up Kirby gets and he'll tell you that they're all the same to him. And it's just the media. Kirby never beat Tennessee when he was at Georgia. And I've talked to players and that game is personal. I mean, they're all personal, but I mean, that game is extra. And I think with, with the recent Tate Ratlitz comment, which, which by the way, I, I agree with when we're talking about stadium aesthetics and the fact that it sits on the river and it holds over 100,000 and they do the checkerboard thing. When I did my stadium rankings, I had Neyland 1, Tiger Stadium LSU 2, and Sanford Stadium 3. And Tate basically just said that that, that was you know the, the best stadium in that. Now, he didn't say anything about the fans, obviously, because we were, you know, everybody's ears were blown out this year when Tennessee came to Georgia. It was like 100 and I want to say, I think it was 137 decibels. It was a stadium record. Uh, and the tennis and, and the Georgia crowd absolutely took over that game. There were like what like five or six sacks and five or six false starts. I mean, they just Tennessee couldn't do anything. They couldn't couldn't hear themselves think. They couldn't communicate, which really affected their offense. And you know, Josh Heupel even said the moment was too big. I mean, the Tennessee coach said that that moment was too big for them, and that was the Georgia fan base. And I saw the Georgia fan base do the same thing back in 2019 when Notre Dame came. Notre Dame should have won that game. I got news for you. They outcoached Georgia that night. Remember how their tight end caught like six passes in the first half and, and they're driving late in the game. And you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, is no, it was under the lights. It was the first game with the Elliott. But the fans, once again, I think once again, there were five or six false starts, emotion penalties. And Brian Kelly said, we thought we'd prepared. Brian Kelly turned out to be a pretty good coach, right? Um, maybe, maybe George will see him again at the end of this year in the SEC title game like they did last year. It'd be very interesting to see what happens in the West. But, but the point being, Georgia fans show out in force when they have the opportunity. They don't have the reputation because their biggest game every year is in Jacksonville, their biggest robbery game. If that game was a home-and-home, home, just imagine some of the crowds and some of the noise. But it, it's not. So you, you take that game off the board – and suddenly, Tennessee and Auburn are your big games. And let's face it, Tennessee and Auburn have, have been somewhat down over the last few years. Now, Tennessee last year obviously rose to number one, according to the college football playoff experts out there. How did that work out for them, by the way? But in Auburn, it's kind of sunk a little bit from Malzahn. We'll see what they do under Hugh Freeze this year. 
Um, but those have kind of been your big home. Georgia Tech has fallen off. So when has when has Sanford Stadium really had the opportunity to respond? Well, there was one game. I remember Kirby urged all the fans to come out too early, and it was that Arkansas game, and they absolutely responded. They, they, Arkansas couldn't hear a, a snap. I remember talking to their quarterback, and he's like, loudest stadium he'd ever been in for a noon game. Remember that? The blocked punt early on, and they had Arkansas like 20 to 0 or 21 to 0 in the blink of an eye in the first quarter. Arkansas never had a chance. Um, so, Sanford Stadium can be every bit as raucous and loud as any other or louder, but they just don't have a lot of marquee games here. You know, they play Clemson in Atlanta, and then they played them in Charlotte. They play Florida and Jacksonville. If those games were in Sanford Stadium, people would have a very different feeling about games in Athens. But when it's Vanderbilt or Missouri or Kentucky or South Carolina, I mean, it just doesn't have the same appeal. And then, of course, there's the fact that there haven't been a lot of night games. And night games are typically when it gets pretty raucous and pretty loud. So I think that Sanford Stadium is kind of a sleeper. I don't think it's as appreciated or as respected as it should be. When it needs to be big, when the fans need to show up, they do. They take over games. I've seen it. Notre Dame and Tennessee, two of the top five home environments I've covered in 30 years of college football. Those two games had two of the loudest and most decisive home field advantages I've ever seen. And that includes games on Rocky Top at Tennessee and at Florida and at Auburn when I covered the Tigers. And even in Alabama, we covered a, a three or four of those Iron Bowls of late since being a part of the Dog Nation team. So uh, I think that what Tate said was fine. People shouldn't misinterpret it. It was not aimed at the fans. It was just purely aesthetics of the stadium. I understood that. But you know what? He's going to hear about that all year long. You just know he will. He'll be teased about it, too. Mark my words. Tate Rattledge will play one of his best games of the season in Neyland Stadium. I guarantee you he has filed this thing away. He's going to hear so much about Rocky Top between now and then that when he takes the field that day, he is going to absolutely steamroll the Tennessee defensive line. You watch. Mark my words on Tate Rattledge on that one. Tate, one of the guys, by the way, that I put on a list of a potential first team All-Americans. I was looking at Phil Steele. Phil Steele does a great job with his magazine. And, you know, I remember when Phil started this thing, I want to say back around the turn of the century, I still remember Casey Clawson being on the cover one year. I was covering Tennessee back then, 2000, 2001, 2002, three, somewhere in there. So there were three Georgia players that made first team All-SEC, or excuse me, first team All-American per Steele. Brock Bowers. And I said this, if he was from the state of Georgia, if he went to high school in the state, you'd already build a statue for him, all right? Brock Bowers has been the most integral offensive recruit of the Kirby Smart era, the most integral. I'm not saying he's the best. I'm not saying, you know, anything other than that. He is that pivotal of a player. And what Todd Munkin has been able to do with him to confuse defenses, to create mismatches, it makes everything else go. When I talked to the TCU defensive captain at the Senior Bowl, and I said, what happened to you guys? I mean, because TCU didn't even give up an offensive touchdown at Texas last year. Steve Sarkeesian and his all-gas, no-breaks offense didn't even score an offensive touchdown against TCU at home last year. And yet there's Georgia up by 52 points through three quarters when Stead gets pulled, starting quarterback goes out. And I said, because I said to him, I said, what, what, D, what happened? He said, we couldn't get lined up, could not get lined up. They, they had a plan 
for Darnell and Brock and how they wanted to, and Munkin knew that. Munkin played three-dimensional chess and used all this motion and confused the defense where there were guys open or blowing assignments all night. And Georgia romped. So it wasn't like TC was ever really lined up to play and engage. And you got to get lined up because, you know, missed alignment, missed assignment. Brock Bowers has been the key to that. I, I don't know what the answer is. Remember the one game in the SEC title game, Georgia lost to Bama. I think Stetson threw at him 16 times. I believe he caught 10 passes for about 139 yards that night. So special player. He's going to be special again. And yes, first team. Cedric Van Pran at center, you know, leadership is so big. Leadership is so big this offseason. You know, Cedric was, you know, one of the guys in the, the do it for Dev, you know, obviously the well-documented January 15th, 16th tragedy. Um, Devin Willick, loss of, of him. And and Cedric is a guy that leads that offensive line room. Obviously, uh, this is something very near and dear to his heart, a very emotional time he's gone through this offseason. How does he respond? Uh, everything looks and sounds good. Need to see him on the field. Every play begins with him snapping the ball, but his maturity and his leadership more important than ever. I mean, Georgia's got to get dialed in. And then the third All-American I would agree with, not on everybody's team, but I like Jamon Dumas Johnson. I think he's the catalyst. I think he's the guy in the huddle, uh, you know, that everybody listens to. I think he sets the tempo and another guy whose leadership and maturity it's going to be really, really important. And it's going to be a little bit tougher for JDJ this year without Jalen Carter in front of him. Now, Georgia will still have probably second, third rounder in Nazir Stackhouse. You know, Zion Logue may play in the league as well. Warren Brinson, another guy that strikes me as someone who's really matured over the last few years, uh, could be a factor. And then, of course, Big Baby. Now, you wonder how much impact that freshman can have. But it's not going to be the same without Jalen Carter. Make no mistake about it. Jalen was a one-man wrecking machine. It was almost like having 12 guys on the field. There's a lot of other Georgia players that could be first-team All-American. Uh, both Javon Bullard and Malachi Starks were second-team picks. Look, either or both of these guys, their numbers are going to be crazy. Bullard has had a great offseason. You saw him. He was the defensive MVP of the Peach Bowl and the national championship game. Um, he's just a wrecking machine. I think Kirby called him a little stick of dynamite. You saw him in pressure packages. Apparently, now he plays the ball well in the secondary. And, of course, Malachi Starks came in and was just – ridiculously good and effective uh, from the early goings, right, right from that pick against Oregon. I think we all remember that moment and said, wow, you know, now we see what this guy's all about. You know, as I mentioned, Ratledge was a third team All-American pick, could be a first team. Michael Williams, I was a little surprised, only third team, but, um, you know, he led Georgia in sacks last year. Uh, big offseason for Michael, see how he advances from freshman to sophomore. Could he be the next Trayvon Walker and become a number one pick? We'll see. And then there's, I've got a list of other guys that I think could be all Americans. They weren't mentioned, but I think Amarius Mims, because I think Mims is a first round pick. Lad McConkie, I'm telling you, people are sleeping on Lad McConkie. You know, Lad was injured late last year, but there were games earlier in the year. I think about the Auburn game. I think about the Mississippi State game. I think about the Oregon game where Lad made big time plays. Um, just doesn't seem to be as celebrated as he should be. Maybe because he wasn't a five-star recruit. But when I look at his production, uh, not just as a receiver, but, you know, when they hand him the ball, uh, when he returns the ball, though I don't know that he'll be making returns this year, just too valuable to the receiving core. But this is, Lad, Lad McConkie is a game-changing guy, very reliable hands. Had a couple drops early in his career, um, but I think he's well, well past that now. And um, just expect really big. Dominic Lovett, I, I think this transfer from Missouri is 
explosive, he's reliable, he's tough. He likes tough coaching. Um, I, this is a Kirby Smart kind of player. You don't often say that about a receiver, but you know, both McConkey and Lovett are guys that that Kirby loves because they go out there and they fight and they do what they're asked to do. I mentioned Stackhouse could have a big year. Smile Munden is an incredible talent. We'll see how quickly he gets back from that lower body injury. Kamari Lasseter is projected by Sama to be a first-round pick. I mean, how he's not an All-American, I, I don't know. Brett Thorson, the, the punter, if, if he would have qualified, he didn't have enough punts to qualify to be among the leaders. It's another guy people are sleeping on. Kendall Milton showed you great explosion at times last year. Uh, Tyke Smith, the guy that really came on, had a fantastic spring. And then whoever's at quarterback. I, I know it looks like Vandegrift, or excuse me, Beck goes in as the 1A and Brett Vandegrift the 1B. Let's see how that turns out. I don't think that's as finished as, as, as fans want it to be or think it is. And the reason I say that is because the head coach said that it wasn't as finished uh, as maybe some tried to imply. Carson clearly uh, had the had a great spring game, had a very good spring. Again, offseason is going to mean everything for these Georgia Bulldogs. So next week, we're going to talk more ball. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity to be at SEC Media Days. Georgia doesn't go, I think, to what, Tuesday or Wednesday? that going in. I, I don't think they go Monday, though. Um, but I will do a show next Monday of some sort, some shape or form. And obviously you're going to want to keep an eye on dog nation all this week leading up to it. Uh, Centel's and tell with his before the hedges show on Wednesday. And of course, every day with Brandon Adams, right? 10 AM right here. And then I'm on with Brandon uh, on Wednesdays. I'm on with him as a guest. And of course on Sunday nights, uh, Connor Riley. So, uh, for coach Wes Johnson, appreciate him joining us. And for the dog nation team, this is Mike Griffith. Have a great week, everybody.